welcome to the Training Design Podcast, approximately 45 minutes of tips and insights for practical training design with me, Sheridan Webb of Keystone Development and Training. And me, Terry Pierce of 360 Learning Design. In this episode, we're going to be looking at transfer of learning. We're going to be looking at why it's important, what leads to transfer of learning, and we're going to be looking at a model of transfer of learning called the 12 levers of transfer of learning, which divides transfer of learning up into what individuals can do about it, what organizations can do about it, and what training designers can do about it. Obviously, we're going to be spending the longest time looking at what training designers can do about it, including setting clear expectations of learning, making sure that the content is relevant to the job, making sure that people get a chance to practice actively in a safe environment, and that there's enough transfer planning. We're also going to be looking at an award-winning case study from Sheridan. Our second topic is going to be all about acronyms and whether or not you should use an acronym to try and aid learning design. So we all know that learning transfer is really important. Do you want to tell us a little bit about why you think it's important for us to focus on? Absolutely. I mean, this is, um, I mean, learning transfer is what it's all about at the end of the day, isn't it? I mean, particularly this day and age when particularly off-the-job training is increasingly called into question. People understandably want to know that they're getting value for their money. So if, people, if we're taking people off their jobs um, to go and learn something, we'd better be able to show that they can do something differently when they go back to work. Um, and I don't know about you, Terry, but certainly when I'm, I'm facilitating a session, it's one of the things I always say. If, if you don't do something differently as a result of today, then frankly, we've all wasted our time. So, um, and I'm, yeah, you're nodding. So I'm sure you, you say um, a similar thing. But I mean, the, the learning transfer, too much training fails or it's considered to fail because either it doesn't transfer quickly or it perhaps doesn't transfer as we expect it to. Um, and there's a whole host of reasons for that. And, you know, when we're asked to evaluate the effectiveness of training as well, that, you know, businesses are most interested in what's changed on the bottom line. Um, they're not actually interested, usually, in that people feel more confident about something or people, you know, have made some sort of mental shift. Um, whilst that's a nice thing to have happened, what, what really matters is, um, are they making more money? Are they... Um, improving their quality are they reducing the number of complaints are they working more efficiently um, all of these things um, you know when, when it boils down to it this is what matters to the organization this is why they're investing in training not actually to make people feel better about themselves mm. so yeah so learning transfer is is all it, well it, it's ultimately why we do training is to help people to do their jobs better um, and to help businesses to be more successful yeah, I think that's really well put, Sheridan. And I think if we start to focus too much on some of the other things that come out of uh, what we want to change in the workplace, like uh, objectives on the day and content, then, yeah, maybe we're going to lose sight of the, the difference we're actually supposed to be making. I was going to say, it's, it, it, it can feel like you, you're walking a fine line sometimes because there's a lot of... Um, there's, a, there's a lot of things out there at the moment as well about we should be focusing less on... Um, business outcomes and more on personal experiences um, and a well-designed program I think should be able to hit both yeah um, we, we shouldn't have to sacrifice one for the other mm -hmm. so thinking about this from a learning design perspective I mm. mean how, how much learning transfer can we really design in though uh, I mean isn't it down to the individual you might say to transfer the learning well yeah I mean obviously um, they pay you know they 
play an enormous role in transferring the learning. Um, it is ultimately down to them. You're absolutely right. And I'm sure you can tell me, give me six examples just off the top of your head, as I could give you of, of times when learning hasn't transferred as well as it should have because either the individual went around and forgot or they weren't getting the support from their manager or you know that they the job changed or for whatever reason so yes it is largely down to the individual and their manager but actually it's the responsibility of a lot of people um, and i think that's why it's very easy to pass the book in terms of holding people accountable for transferring the learning. Um, it's very easy to say, well, the, my manager never had a conversation with me. It's very easy to say, well, the, um, the, the training facilitator never actually got back in touch with me and checked that I understood something. So th th there's lots of facets to making sure that the, um, the, the training does transfer to the workplace. And you may think that, um, the learning designer has probably the, the, the least role in all of that um, because you know it's, it's the way that the facilitator brings things to life on the day. Um, obviously if you're talking more um, e-learning, self-directed learning then maybe you would perhaps expect the designer to play a more prominent role but even in live facilitated events we very much have a role to play um, and we need to build in the transfer of learning right throughout the whole program so it's not an add-on it's something that happens all the way through um, and that's um in some ways that's a really easy thing to do and in some ways it can be quite a challenge mm. yeah so we're keeping it in focus the entire way through um and i guess some of the obvious things that that probably means are things like uh stopping pausing everything every now and again to uh record actions from a particular thing and perhaps building into it some kind of uh, follow-up or a kind of accountability uh, checks or something like that. Uh, I mean, what, what kind of things do you think in particular lead to transfer of learning there? Um, well, well, there are lots of things and multiple touch points of things um, are, are definitely a help in terms of transferring the learning. Um, and I think instinctively we know what impacts the transfer of learning, whether we learn that from experience or whether it's just kind of a logical deduction, um, we do kind of know what, what, what good practice is. Um, but what I want to do to save me rambling, which I could do, <laughs> I, I could easily ramble for an hour on this. Um, I came across a model um, just over a year ago now called the 12 levers of transfer effectiveness. Um, and it was, created by, um, I hope I say her name right, the lady is called Dr. Ina Weinbauer-Heidel. I think that's her name. Sounds right. Um, she, and when I was introduced to this model, it was a little bit like um, when I came across Stephen Covey's Circles of Concern. Mm. And, you, and it was just that, oh, that's why so much makes sense. I totally get this. This is the framework that I've been looking for all my life, really. Good so this, this model really helped me to put it into context, I think, rather than me just saying, I believe this works, or in my experience, this works, she's actually got hard evidence to back up what needs to happen to maximize the transfer of learning from the learning event into the workplace. So, you know, kudos to her, I think, <laughs> for giving us that. That sounds great. I'm excited to hear about it now. I do, I do love a good model. I think sometimes we hide from the word model. I do myself I sometimes talk about 
uh, tools or something really practical and practical stuff is great. But sometimes, you know, a model of how something works, uh, even if it's not 100% accurate, just gives us lots of inspiration and something to focus on. Uh, it sounds like you're very inspired with this one. I am. And, and, and you know, I, use the, I use the term model lightly um, because it isn't really a model. It's three categories. But um, in order to, to make anything interesting these days, we do have to present it visually. So she presents it as three um, interconnected circles, very much like the action leadership model, because um, there are three main components to what aids the transfer of learning. Before I get into the three sort of main factors, I just want to point out that during their research, they found literally hundreds of factors that affect um, how well we learn and how well we transfer that learning. So things as silly as how hungry we, we are at the time um, mm. can affect, you know, we know for ourselves and sometimes our mind, you know, how much sleep we had the day before. So what they said was all these factors, which yes, are factors, but we can do nothing about them. So let's just park those. Let's not worry about those. Let's very much focus on what we can control. And out of the 12 things they found, and there were only 12, that they felt we should be able to control, they were able to put those into three categories. Um, and those categories were, so the levers associated with the individual, um, levers associated with the organisation, and levers associated with training design. So three main areas that need to be right in order for people to transfer their learning to the workplace. So I'll just quickly run through the individual ones because I don't think these will be a surprise to anybody. Mm. Um, one is um, that they, they call this transfer motivation. So it's where individuals want to complete the learning. So you, we've all had those days where, why are you here? My manager sent me. Okay. <laughs> but there, there's no transfer of learning going to happen there. Yeah. So they actually have to want to, to be there. Um, they have to believe that the training will add value mm. and that they are capable of completing it as well. So that um, not just I'm willing to be there, but I actually think this is a good use of my time. So mm. the attitude's backing that up. And then also, this is quite an interesting one, the transfer volition. So where they have the resilience to stick at it, particularly if it's a longer program, and keep going even if it gets difficult. So you know, are they going to give up? at the first bit that is maybe challenging to them or are they going to work through it mm. so they are things to do with the individual and does that include the the the, res, the resilience and kind of sticking at it but does that include sticking at it even once you go back to the workplace and other people are doing it the old way and that kind of stuff i think Outside it does yeah. yeah 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 definitely so um yeah it is that ability well i tried it once it wasn't great so therefore it doesn't work and i'm never going to do it again mm -hmm. rather have that ability to reflect and go well i tried it it didn't quite go as i expected it to why didn't it go quite sure. as i expected it to and, and can i try again so yeah that, that's a really good point terry mm -hmm. um the second big chunk if you like again won't come as any surprise to experienced learning professionals are those levers associated with the organization there's actually five in this category um, and i'll take the first couple together so one is support from managers and one is support from peers mm. so we i can certainly give you examples of times when um if you know the, someone goes on a course they come back they're fired up they want to do something differently the manager's not interested at all says i don't care we're short staffed just get on with that mm. um, and the opportunity is lost mm. um, you know, and of course, this day and age, you know, we, we work in less hierarchical structures. So support from peers is increasingly important, I think. You know, what 
what do your colleagues say about this thing that you've learned are they going to make it harder for you or are they going to take an interest mm. um so you know we must never underestimate the environment that people are going back into i don't think yeah definitely i've experienced that quite a lot and um uh... It's interesting. I mean, so I'm sure you're going to say a bit about it on the training design front, but it, it might be something that we can sometimes do something about in program design, as in, you know, we're not designing just this session. We're thinking about how we're going to uh, design things for the organization. So maybe designing sessions for the managers or at least some measures to get them on board before, you know, trained people and their managers or peers end up working together. Absolutely. Yeah. And I know that, um, you know, programs where people are properly invested that there is that element that you know either managers go through the training themselves or they have a condensed version and they so they understand exactly what's being covered and why mm -hmm. um and i think that links back to what we said about the transfer motivation of the individual mm -hmm. they, uh, they, they want to do it and they believe it will add value so that's going to be harder to do if you just tell people to turn up at a certain place at a certain time to have some training so what's being done beforehand you know what conversations are happening with them to actually make them think about the value that it's going to have that it's going to add mm, definitely so the other things associated with the organization are um, transfer expectation and i thought this one was particularly interesting and i'll, I'll take it with the second the next one as well which is opportunities for application so again it's does the organization expect a change to occur you know are we putting people on courses and then holding them to account or are we just ticking a box to say they've been on a course mm. so that for me is a massive one and then linked to that is the the next lever which is the opportunities for application so there's no point sending somebody on um it's about timing isn't it really mm. there's no point sending somebody on a course or asking them to complete a piece of learning and then not giving them the opportunity to apply that in a timely manner mm. Yeah, absolutely. I had uh, I had someone on a session the other day who um, a session I was running, but uh, you know, it's thinking about this from how, how you're going to design for this point of view, um, where the person one person came along and uh, they had no part of their job where the training was applicable. They'd just come along because uh, the person who had signed up wasn't able to come along to the session, and if they hadn't have come in their place, then their cost center would have been charged for the training place. So. <laughs> So it's yeah, you know. So, so work that one out. <laughs> yeah, not sure how we're going to transfer the learning there, or, or get people, you know, motivated to 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 want to to take part. Well, yeah. also that cost centres lost twice, haven't they? Because yeah. they've paid for learning they don't need, and they've actually lost somebody doing a job for the day. Exactly. That's that's just ludicrous. <laughs> <laughs> um, just so the the last one um, associated with levers associated with the organisation is personal transfer capacity. And again, I found this one quite interesting. It's where people are allowed to take the time they need. Um, it's about understanding that they aren't going to come back magically transformed. They aren't going to be perfect straight away. So it's almost allowing people to fail um, mm -hmm. and recognizing that people may take a, take a step back before they can then take two steps forward because they're learning something new. Um, and no matter how good the training is, unless it's very specific and very intensive they're not going to come back perfect i think that's really important uh, i always make uh, make extra careful to build that into sessions around uh learning and developing staff so for instance designing sessions around uh performance development and performance development reviews that kind of thing mm. and uh making it really really clear 
for delegates who are managers that they have to you know they have, they have to not just send people off on training courses but think about how they're going to give them chance to try fail try again fail better mm. and eventually succeed yeah yeah and i think you know before we look at um, the leaders associated with training design um if anyone's listening to this who's, who's a training manager or even as a freelance consultant when you're asked to do a piece of work um and your stakeholders say people need training in this um, obviously you do your training needs analysis but you need to look at the, the environment that that training is going back into because if there is no support from managers if there is no accountability if there is no opportunity um, and if we're going to have unrealistic expectations of people you really are fighting an uphill battle now, it could be the best training ever but it's still going to have a really limited impact and I, th I think this is one of the reasons why we've always struggled as a profession to produce real hard data on training evaluation mm, mm. to be honest yeah good it, point it's not that we shy away from it but there, there are genuinely so many factors mm. um, and i think some of those people involved in that are working in their own little silos with their own things they're being measured on uh, and it's about all of them trying to take some share in that responsibility for making it work yeah it, it really is and it, it does come back to what i said right at the start really is that it's very easy to sidestep the issue and say well it's not down to me to make sure this training works because it's actually you know at least four people need to be involved in this um you, you've got the, the managers the individuals the organization as a whole and the training team you know whether it's facilitators deliverers whoever and, and each has to do their bit else it, it is you are going to struggle to get benefit mm. from training not to say that we shouldn't do it but we need to create the best conditions that we can great so there's a lot of factors for the individual in the organization and i think it's really good actually for training designers to be aware of those things where the context try and influence it and take their full part in it i guess we're saying but you said there's a third strand specifically on how the training design affects the learning transfer yes yes there is um and what was really interesting when um this model was introduced to me is that it's it's design not delivery um so yes we expect facilitators to be motivational and engaging and inspire people but you know it's like you know you can go and watch a comedian and come away inspired and motivated you don't, you don't change what you do so not to belittle um, anyone who facilitates because Terry you do a lot of facilitation I, I still keep my hand in with facilitation and you know it, it is an important role but the design is fundamental to the mm. transfer of, of learning mm. so um, there are four aspects um, to this and I'll, I'll, I'll raise each of them and then you can perhaps give me your thoughts so sure. the first one is the clarity of expectations so this is those completing the learning know exactly what they will learn to do and want and want to do it so that's sort of linking back to the transfer motivation and the the sort of the belief that it's going to add value mm. i think that's quite interesting yeah so we want people to know what it is that they're going to be doing differently how they're going to be behaving differently how they're going to be applying skills rather than just in a more sterile way what they're going to learn yeah yeah that sounds good yeah very much so and it's it's about getting that mindset up front and where and so you don't get the situations that you just explained there Terry about you don't get someone turning up to take the place of somebody else mm. um you know so because if we can if we can design that in from the start and, and this you know 
when we're talking about know exactly what they will learn and they will want to do it that is very much linked to your training needs analysis of course so mm. really get into the heart of what we're trying to do and the benefits the problems it will solve for the individual mm. Mm. and making that clear and sometimes we do need to um, spell it out i think Mm. You know, it may not be cool. It may not be trendy. We may be trying to encourage self-discovered learning all the time. And that has its place. But what this research is saying that people need to have really clear expectations and they need to be clear from a design point of view as well. Mm. I have seen a couple of, uh, I've been on a couple of assignments where uh, either as well as, or instead of objectives, uh, what I was given to try and to try and achieve was uh, behaviors that were linked into a competency framework that existed so yes uh, yeah having to, to to instead of focusing on you know, the, the, the kind of st standardly phrased learning objectives focusing on this is one of our behaviors in our competency framework and we need it to get from this level to this level as a result of this training yeah absolutely and so i call those sort of like behavioral outcomes um, mm. rather than learning objectives so yeah it's it's linking and linking back to competency models if the organization uses those yeah. um you know the, the closer that we can link to the reality i think the better and that actually links directly into the second lever which is content relevance so that's where there's a clear link between the content and the requirements of the job you know or the environment that we're going to be transferring that learning into um, and as a designer i think it's incredibly important to constantly make those red threads put that red thread through the training and to make those constant link back links back um, and that's one of the things I really enjoy about being a bespoke training designer because I get to know the organization and I get to know the roles um, I can um, shorten that gap if you like I can use their language I can explain the exact situation when something could be used and that can all be designed in you know the case studies are designed around their environment and the relevance is there it's spelled out yeah, I know that sometimes we're, that's not very cool and trendy to do that, um, but it, it really does help, I think, to, for people to join the dots. Definitely. Um, I mean, I, I think of that often when I am consulting some of the people in the organization, people who do the job, people who are managing the job. And one of the key questions I almost always ask is around uh, kind of pain points around, you know, what, what are the really things that, that, that make you tear your hair out and try and get as many of them as possible. And as soon as you can start linking those into things that they're learning, this is going to help you with that thing that you hate, that you really struggle with, that you, you know, really want to do better. You're building something that people are going to, you know, you're not going to have to persuade them to buy into. You're just going to have to say, look, this is going to help you with this. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the job's done. Okay, so the, the third um, lever associated with training design is something that you've already mentioned, actually, Terry, which is active practice. The training needs to provide real opportunities to experience, experiment and practice new skills in a safe environment. This is one of the areas where live training still has uh, virtual training trumped, I think. Um, mm. Not to say that you can't build in these practice elements um, into a blended program, obviously. Um, we, we can have coaching calls and things like that to, to include that, but it's not enough to tell somebody about something or to show them something. Um, if you want them to have the confidence to go and do something differently um, in, in their everyday job, you can't expect them to do it for the very first time in a live environment. It's just too high risk. Mm. I think that's really true. Some of the best uh, feedback that I've ever had uh, for a session that I designed or worked with uh, has been around ones that have used actors 
to role play uh, situations that they're going to encounter, uh, and particularly ones where they themselves briefed the actors. So ones where they, uh, you know, it's built into the session that they would say, okay, yeah, actually I have got Jim in my team and Jim is a, you know, uh, Jim presents a challenge to me and this is how, and this is the kind of things that he says. And then the actor takes on board that brief and, uh, and kind of plays it out. And it just, yeah, the, the amount of kind of really good feedback that comes off the back of that. And also in later evaluation of how it has transferred back to the workplace uh, you know, is 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 really something. So I think that 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 is that is huge. That's just one example of a really good way to do it. But anything that is, you know, that chance to not have the pressured live environment where mistakes are a problem be the first time that you practice something. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's all about shortening the the gap, isn't it, between the the unnatural training environment and the natural work environment. So we have to really make that gap as small as we can. Um, and live action is, is fantastic if you can do that. I mean, realistic case studies are also really, really valid, um, can help people with that so that they can see, they can visualize exactly how something's gonna go and they can practice it in a safe environment. Um, and the, the fourth one, which again is kind of a, a follow on from that really, is, is the transfer planning. So they. People need to be really clear about what they're going to do after the training and how they're going to apply it. So it's not just about, well, I'll, I'll, have, um, I'll go away and I'll have some tough conversations. No, no, that's, that's not enough. Um, who are you going to have that conversation with? What are you going to say to them? How are you going to open that conversation? Um, you know, when, when are you going to have it? You know, it, it's really, and what will you say if? So it's really drilling things down. Um, and building time into the session to allow people to do that because you can guarantee when they finish the training for the day they're going to go straight back to work home whatever and you've missed the opportunity mm. they are not going to do it afterwards and they also need to do that with other people who are sharing that learning experience with them because they'll probably hold them accountable to it Mm. And if I, I may indulge myself in a moment, I will talk you through um, a program that actually had most of these levers in place. And, and one of the things that worked particularly well is that the delegates held each other accountable and, and we held them accountable. So have you got an example of where you've been able to put some of that kind of stuff into place, Sheridan? Well, I, I have, as it happens, and I'd just like to point out, I can't take full credit for this. Um, I was involved in a programme, um, very proud to be involved in a programme that did seem to have most of these 12 levers in place and the benefits were phenomenal, M mostly for the business, which is obviously what we wanted. But the byproduct of that is that um, the programme itself has won a couple of awards Fantastic. Um, which is great. So I'm sure they won't mind um, me <laughs> name checking them. Um, it was um, the, the Management Academy for Johnson's Apparel Master, um, which I was part of. Um, it was uh, something that I sort of took responsibility for half of it and the other half was done internally. Um, and it was done over an 18 month period. Uh, with a mixture of formal and informal learning but if I can just um, pick out some of the things um, I won't go through all of them I did actually write a blog but in, in terms of transfer motivation and support from managers let's take those two together the people who were on the academy um, had to apply to be on the academy um, they had to do an application form they had to go through an application process not only was the individual interviewed but also the manager was interviewed to say 
if you if we select this person you have to release them for the training you have to find them give them opportunities to put their learning into practice you have to um, allow them to have coaching calls you know so you have to support them in it basically um, so the expectations were really clear at the start um, so that that was really really um, important and those people who were selected because a version of this had run before they knew what the program was about there was a lot of communication up front about what it would and would not cover um, they had seen people going through a similar program get promoted in the past although it was made clear to them that it was no guarantee of promotion but the being on the program did allow them to raise their profile and to develop their skill set beyond their current role well, i was saying just before about one of the things that we need to build into design is the um the transfer planning and the program was blended there was quite a lot of pre-work that people had to do for themselves but then there was also um, to apply the learning they everyone had to go away and do a practical task now they were given a choice you know this is where we have that where we meet halfway i suppose we didn't leave it entirely up to them what they did um, because ultimately the organization wanted some sort of return you know in specific areas so we actually designed four choices for each module and people had to go away and do one of those um, and it was a really practical thing and they had a month to do it and then they had to report back on the results what they did um, the results it had um, any challenges they faced even if they tried it and it didn't work that was okay they still had to come back and reflect on why perhaps it didn't work because that was still a valuable learning experience mm. So, I mean, they, they stayed together as a group, so they got support from their peers. They, what else did, did, we, did we have to do? Yeah, the workshops themselves were practical. We did follow accelerated learning principles. There were opportunities in there, but then linked to that was very much, you know, the fact that they had to go back and apply it in the workplace. And because it was bespoke to them, the content relevance was there. Um, all the case studies that we talked about, all the examples we talked about, that, you know, we were talking about industrial laundry. Mm. Um, it wasn't, you know, talking about some tech business that none of them could relate to. So there were lots and lots of facts and there was a real expectation as well. This was all wrapped up, just the, the last point on this. After the sort of formal sort of workshop and mini actions, if you like, but back in the workplace, there's a big project that these people had to complete um, that was a high profile project within the business and they were being you know, exposed to the senior management team um, who were holding them account. Uh, you know, they're holding them to account for putting their learning into practice so it wasn't a walk in the park there were real expectations there but they had the tools to put their learning into practice and it it really did succeed i mean one woman on her own i think she saved the business it was definitely a six-figure sum wow. just by putting into practice what she applied on that course that's great and then i'm sure you can feed that back into future promotional material and uh, you know and, and making people see the value of the program before they sign up for it, like you were saying at the very start yeah but you know it, it, it's it I would love to take credit for that program but it wasn't just me the the training manager played a huge role she had coaching calls with people every quarter they had a coaching call so the managers were held to account and if they weren't providing support, I mean, one, one of the delegates wasn't being given the opportunity to apply his learning and his manager was called to account for it. Mm. So, you know, the organization took it seriously is what I'm saying. Mm. 
That sounds like a great program to work on. I it was, just was a great program. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking when you were saying about the first bit about applying for the program. Mm. That sounds really interesting as well. This is it fits with some of uh, some reading I've been doing uh, in kind of recent times around uh, free as a price point and the idea that actually you know people don't value what they get for free uh, and actually are quicker to discard it and you know quicker to uh, not not put effort into it and not value it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I mean, there's definitely um, a prestige to being on that management mm. academy. Mm. Um, they, they opened up 24 places and I think they had over, well, I think if I had at least double that apply mm. for it. So, yeah, I think there is something in that. You're quite right. Excellent. And uh, so obviously you won awards for it and it, it ran again and again. So, uh, I mean, in terms of measuring the workplace learning, were they able to kind of, well, I suppose the money was a, was a measure there. Yeah, I mean, different people measured it in different ways. It depended on their role. Um, you know, for, for some, it was um, the, the, so we had some office managers on there. So the fact that they were able to upskill different members of their team and delegate some of their work, you know, that that was a huge success. One um, customer service manager was able to actually um, retain a key client that all indications were that client was about to walk. So, you know, it it's... It, it was measured in different ways and again this comes back to the original problem that we have with evaluating training is you, you can't just pick one measure and say yeah. that's proof that it worked because it, it works differently in different roles excellent that sounds really good so i've definitely learned a lot and uh, got some things to think about to take away from that in terms of kind of practical upshots i think uh, if i had to try and summarize them to uh, to help uh, our listeners perhaps take some of them away I'd say for me, there's something definitely about being really focused on transfer of learning from the outset and keeping it in view throughout the learning to make sure that uh, we don't lose sight of it. Uh, there's maybe something around uh, taking a, a, as much opportunity as possible to work with uh, people who have some control over how the training fits into the wider picture so that those individual and organizational levels of transfer and the things that are important to transfer, uh, you know, so that they work as they should. And then in terms of the design in its, uh, itself, in particular, making it really, really clear uh, throughout uh, what kind of expectations there are, uh, the problems that it will solve, for instance, um, how it's relevant to the jobs of the people who are going through the training uh, and how it will help with their challenges, giving them plenty of chance to actively practice so that they can see uh, how it will work um, as close as possible to the real situation. and. Uh, making transfer planning of, of how they're going to put it into action as detailed and specific as possible. How does that sound for a summary? That's, that's pretty comprehensive. Um, yeah, I, th I think it's absolutely right. So it, it, it comes down to really holding people accountable at every possible stage. And it's thinking about what we can do as learning designers, both you know, pre-event, during the event, and post-event. Um, and it's about giving people guidance because I think from my experience is if you pitch it right um, managers will support it um, but they don't always know how they don't know what's expected of them so the, the more that we can give um, the better chance we've got of success really excellent so yeah so i just think that's a really really important model um and you know it's um it, it just helps keep that training rooted in practice without constraining it too much so i'm a massive fan of that as you can probably tell because i'm all mm. about practical training <laughs> <laughs>
you know that that's a bit of an evergreen one if you like it's um it's a newish model to me but it's um i think it's one that will definitely be around for a while mm. um and quite a heavy topic as well so um terry i don't know if you've got anything slightly lighter or at least can take us in a different direction to um to to think about um as we move forward i think so yeah i think it's great to think about big wide-reaching stuff like that that's quite complex try and uh, wrap your head around it but i would like to talk today about acronyms about uh <laughs> the kind of acronyms that we get on slides and in training sessions and on handouts to try and help us remember a process or a uh, steps of a model or just a few things to, to keep in mind around a particular topic uh, I should have come up with an acronym for this, shouldn't I? That would have been perfect. You could would, have yeah. led, you led straight into it, you could have dashed it down. Yeah, well, it, it could have. Uh, the problem that I find, actually, one of the reasons that, that I chose this as a topic, though, is that people too readily, I think, try and come up with an acronym, and we get too many, and some of them being forced, I think. So for me, there are, there are great ones. There are classic ones, uh, like, you know, the, the, one, of the, one of the big classics, for instance, might be GROW yeah. as, a, as a coaching uh, acronym so that... It's a, it's a nice, easy to remember word. Uh, yeah. you, know, you can think of all of the different things that the things stand for. You can remember them pretty easily. And then none of them kind of twist the meaning of the steps too much. So by saying that the first step is goals, that's exactly what the first step is all about. It's by saying, what is your goal for coaching? By saying the second step is reality. That's yeah. exactly what it's all about. So it kind of, you know, it probably kind of came about without too much forcing when, when it was first created, I would say. But, I do think that because the ones like that are so successful, I think a lot of other people then start to think, oh yeah, well let's to help people learn and then help people memorize and recall Let, let's try and do our own. Yeah. Uh, I've, I have been guilty of that in the past. <laughs> I have. <laughs> yeah. And I think some of them, you know, if, if it's seven, eight, nine letters, you know, mm. they're not going to remember it anyway. Um, if some of them are kind of forced, then you're having to change the, the kind of, emphasis of a particular step in order to make it fit yes and i just yeah i just wonder whether you'd be better off just saying okay look this isn't an acronym but these four steps or whatever they might be they all make sense and they all uh, they're all exactly what they say on the tin I, I mean i'll give you just a quick example i i, I had a model that i created around uh time around time management and uh, had a way to uh, think about all the things that you might do with time thieves, people or events or things that come along and steal your time. And I'd kind of been reading a lot about them and uh, talking a lot about them and designing training a lot around them. And I kind of got all of the ideas that I had into, into, into one box and said, look, really, actually, there's seven categories there, seven categories of things that you can do to these things that come along and steal some of your time and energy and productivity. And I just presented them as, as seven things uh, in the training design that I did. Someone else then got hold of that design and adapted it uh, l later on and came up with a mnemonic for it, an, yep. an acronym for it, which was uh, bandits. Um, right. Which I could see where they were going with it. Time bandits. You yeah, know, yeah, absolutely. Nice, particularly if you're old enough like me to remember the film. But absolutely, uh, the, by doing so, you know, some of those letters, they had to just push it a little bit mm. far. And then when I kind of came back across it and ended up at one point facilitating a session on, on this newer redeveloped kind of version found myself having to do a lot more explaining around the topic around each of the points and having found people kind of misinterpreting them slightly because you know by making them fit the mnemonic they were no longer 
saying exactly what they were supposed to say, I guess. Mm. So it's a bit of a trade-off, isn't it, between mm. the, the memory. So yes, you're more likely to remember bandits, but if you can't really remember what that's all about, it's not really worth doing it, is it? Mm. Yeah, so exactly. You're, you're better off not remembering it at all rather than remembering it wrong, I suppose. Yeah, maybe, maybe. But as you say, a trade-off, yeah. So I think it's for me, it's really about, you know, the, the, what's the value in, in, in that? easy to remember easy to recall acronym or how easy but at the same time you know not 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 spending too much effort too much energy moving things around to make it fit if you find one that fits fantastic if Mm. it doesn't fit too naturally i would probably leave it most of the time yeah i do say as a training designer i have fallen into that trap before and i think you know what's going to make it more memorable is perhaps us allowing the people on the training to come up with their own way of remembering it yeah um you know rather than us telling them how they're going to remember it um it is putting a little bit of trust into the group and you don't exactly how that's going to go but you know maybe that is the the better alternative yeah so I, i i agree with you i think you know we know why we use acronyms and mnemonics um because on paper it's a great way of remembering things but you know, it, it should never be forced, and perhaps it's more memorable if people create their own ways um, of remembering what it is they need to remember. Because at the end of the day, we're not in school; we're not expecting people to sit a test and list the seven methods. Um, what we want is for them to take the elements of that that are going to be useful to them and apply them. So, yeah, really useful. Pause for thought there, Terry. Thanks. No worries. Okay, so I think that probably brings us to the end of our time um, this week. So thank you again so much for your insights and your company, Terry. I've really, really appreciated it. Um, as I have um, waffled on probably about um, one of my pet theories, which is the transfer of learning. So again, it's one of those things we probably know a lot of it from our own experience. I know that you did, um, but it is nice to see it all laid out sometimes. So we would love to have your feedback um, on these podcasts. We would love to have your suggestions and your comments. And you can get in touch with us in a number of ways. We'd love some discussion on the podcast's Facebook page. So just search for the Training Design Podcast on Facebook and let us know there your thoughts on the podcast itself, on the topics we've been discussing, or on anything else you think we'd like to hear about. Uh, Also, if you want to connect with either or both of us individually, that would be great. You can contact me through my email, which is sheridan at keystonedevelopment.co.uk. You can find me on LinkedIn. Just do a search for Sheridan Webb. There aren't very many of us around. Um, Or if you're on Facebook, just search for the Training Designers Club. You answer three questions. You're straight in and you can contact me there. In fact, you can contact us both there because Terry is also a member. I am indeed. Or if you want to contact me directly, you can find me on LinkedIn, Terry Pierce. Or if you have a look at my website, 360learningdesign.com, you can get in touch with me via that. Again, yeah, we'd love to hear your comments, questions, ideas for future programs. Okay, so I think that's it for now. So thank you very much and join us again next time. Bye for now.